So they were willing to follow. But the first thing they do is, as we see of willing to follow, was they were willing to obey his command. So he says, come on, we're going to leave the crowds. We are going to leave the crowds. They're going to obey his commands taking place. He was probably tired. And we don't know, I'm not going to speculate on the, the apostles, what they thought, because Jesus was a big deal. People were coming from all over. He was doing healings. And humanly speaking, we like to be around famous people. If you know someone famous, you're like, hey, I know so-and-sos. And we use that, slip that in, say, oh, yeah, I know someone famous. And, oh, you know, everyone is impressed. And I don't know where the disciples were at, but they obeyed his command to get away from the crowds. And so maybe we don't know if they were tired or what occurred, but they, they were willing to follow. Also, they were willing to organize a plan. They're the ones who had to do the work. So Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to the other side. He doesn't tell them everything what to do. They were fishermen. Some of them were fishermen. And so they knew, get the boats ready. He was already in the boat, so they knew everything they had to get ready, get the supplies, what took place. And they knew that they don't all fit. So it says in the text simply that they were going to take more than one boat. And as we look here, it says they had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were with him also. And so they were going and getting everything. They were organizing the plan, carrying out. And as Jesus gives commands in our lives, we must understand we are to obey. But sometimes he just simply says, hey, I want you to do this. And sometimes we're like, how? I don't even know how to do that. But organizing the plan, thinking about what needs to be done. Some of us are more organized than others. Have you ever noticed that the organized, um, oftentimes in our lives, there's one who, maybe it's your friends or others, or maybe it's your husband or wife. You have one who's organized, one who isn't. And uh, sometimes they seem to get together, and so they balance one another out. But Jesus simply says, hey, we're going over. And first of all, they were, are correct. They followed. They obeyed. They organized. And they also observed their surroundings. This was something they were familiar with. They had grown up around the lake, and it's not like God took them somewhere beyond. They understood this was familiar territory, so they observed their surroundings. And he says to them in verse 35, it says, hey, let us cross over to the other side. And Mark here, who records, he doesn't say, and they all discussed and said, hey, we should go this way or that way, or hey, um, I don't think so because our boats, we're not sure what path we take. They simply looked around and said, you know what? We're going to go, we'll follow through. And Jesus, and my point of this is that I'm establishing context. At this point in the ministry of Jesus, they didn't know a lot about Jesus. They were willing to follow him. And it's instantly he doesn't say, hey, guess what? We're going over to Babylon. We're going over to a different area. He simply, this was familiar territory they were in. He says, follow, we're going over, and they followed. And they were in their surroundings, which were familiar, especially being fishermen. But now we arrive at something that changes, because in verse 36, now when they had left the multitude, they took along with them the little boat in the boat as he was, and other little boats were with him. And then in verse 37, there was a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. If you've ever been in a boat, and I'm not a big fan of boats. I haven't been, uh, I didn't grow up on an ocean or near lakes or anything like that. I've been on some boats. But I know what it means to get seasick. I had a friend who, you know, we had some rough waters, and, and I was just laughing at it because I could walk along, and you see all these little bags. It was this little ferry that went across, and he, he was sick and green and had to just lay uh, up on the top deck and look at the sky because he was getting all sick. 
But if you've ever been in a boat and everything is crashing and you're afraid to die, maybe you've seen some of those uh, shows about the deadliest catch or where they're up in Alaska and they're fearful at what is taking place. And so these are experienced fishermen. Some of them weren't. But imagine being in a little boat. The water's coming on. You have the scene. And on that sea, those storms come up very quickly. Uh, we know from just uh, looking at the topography and even from past history, it still occurs. And so there's a storm that comes up. And you're in a small boat. And what happens is the second thing we see is the disciples feared for their lives. This wasn't just an, an ordinary fear of, oh, I'm afraid of lightning or I'm afraid of thunder. This was, we're afraid for our lives. And what is taking place? And have you ever been in a fearful position? I'm sure maybe you're young or maybe you're, you have never been in a, where you fear for your lives. I've been in a few times, and one time I was in a fearful position. I was free climbing up a couple hundred feet as a young person. I got stuck. And in northeastern New York, it's shale. The bad thing was I was too young and stupid not to think about my fearful, the position I was in fearful. It was more of one of those, oh, I can't believe I did this. And uh, there was a, a group of climbers who had gotten in trouble before, and they threw a rock. They, I had to down climb, which is kind of dangerous a little bit, to get to a ledge that was stable. And they threw a rope over. Well, it didn't come right to me. It was about probably maybe four feet away. Well, I was young, you know, just don't even think about the fearfulness of it, but I had to jump for it. And if I had missed, I think about now, you know, it would have had dire consequences. But fearful positions, this was something they were experiencing that was fearful. Just give you a quick um, illustration. There was fire authorities in California found a corpse of a burnt out section of forest while assessing the damage done by a forest fire. There was a deceased male there, and he was dressed in a full wetsuit, complete with a dive tank, flippers, and face mask. A post-mortem examination revealed the person died not from burns, but from massive internal injuries. Dental records provided a positive identification. Now, here's the, here is the set of circumstances. You have after there was a forest fire in California, and all of a sudden you see a diver in the middle of this forest fire where it had been a section that had burned out. How did he get there? So investigators then set out determining how a fully clad diver ended up in the midst of a forest fire. Come to find out, it was revealed that on the day of the fire, the person went for a diving trip off the coast some 20 miles away from the forest. The firefighter, seeking to control the fire as quickly as possible, called in a fleet of helicopters with very large buckets. The buckets were dropped in the ocean for rapid filling, then flown to the forest fire and emptied. You guessed it. One minute, the diver was making like flipper in the Pacific, and the next was doing the breaststroke in a fire bucket 300 meters in the air. Apparently, he extinguished the fire part of it. But can you imagine a fearful position? You're in the ocean diving, and then all of a sudden, you're up in the air. And then imagine being dropped onto a forest fire and then you know, having your life taken that way. But fear, when it occurs in our lives, we respond many different ways. There are some who are very expressive, some who internalize it. But either way, it still affects our emotions. Our heart starts to palpitate. Uh, we are fearful. We, uh, you know, there's a, you have all of the chemicals that respond and drop into your gastric juices. And you're like, oh, no, you know, in the pit of your stomach. How to respond? Well, these disciples, these were rugged men. These were fishermen. Some were, weren't, but they were men who, who were fearful of their, for their lives. And first of all, we see the sudden change of environment. The windstorm blowing and allowing no control of direction. 
All of a sudden, this windstorm, they're in, and this boat just blows all over. You've seen movies. You've seen what is taking place. I would never want to be how dark it gets. This would have been at night. It's not like you can see the calm. You can see the shoreline. It's dark, water splashing in your face. And so you're getting wet. They're fearful. They're scared. But not only the sudden change of environment, environment, you see the sudden sensory overload because the fearfulness, but also the waves in the water, as I said, hitting them. It's one thing to be fearful to watch it, but then all of a sudden, if you're in the midst of it, and sensory. That's why when you go to some of those theme parks, you know, you're watching on the screen, and all of a sudden, the puff of air blows at you, and you feel those things. They show a bunch of mice on the, on the floor, and then all of a sudden, you feel the puffs of air at your ankles. You're like, ah, get away from that. We had a group from Ohio who came out, and uh, he wanted to take some scorpions back because he'd never seen scorpions. I'm like, you're crazy. You want? So we sprayed some and got a bunch of them, put them in a jar. But as we're out, he's in flip-flops. And so I thought, oh, this will be good. So we're, we're against one of the walls that separates in the development, and uh, we're spraying them. And, and he's standing there getting ready to catch some of them with the, with the black light. And I, I find a piece of the grass and kind of a stick. And so I throw it right against his ankle. You've never seen anyone jump around like, what in the world is that a scorpion? Oh, it's hilarious. But... But he was fearful because he didn't know, hey, what is that on my leg? And he felt it. It's one thing to say, watch out the scorpion, but it's another thing to feel something. Our imagination, we don't know what's going to happen. And uh, it would make for a great YouTube video, but, uh, but he was fearful because he felt it. The disciples, they were in the boat. They felt the ship rocking back and forth. They felt the waves. They could feel the wind that was blowing against them, getting ready to tip them over. And uh, it's a fearful thing, the sensory overload that they were there. But also, we see not only that in the, the fearfulness, we see the, a little bit of a sinful, selfish perspective. And whenever we get in a situation where our emotions are on overload and we don't have complete control of our facilities, we tend to either lash out or respond in a sinful way. And here we see, it says, a sinful, selfish perspective. The response here, in, as we look at the text, it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And where's Jesus? Their leader. He's in the stern asleep on a pillow or a little pad. He's sleeping. You wonder, first of all, how can he sleep? Now, if you're tired and exhausted, you're going to sleep anywhere. You're going to, it doesn't matter. You'll just crash, and you don't care about your surroundings. Uh, some of you, you have kids. You see, how can they sleep in those positions? But when you're tired, exhausted, you don't care. You just fall asleep. Jesus must have been mentally, physically exhausted from all that he had done. But then we see the great windstorm, and he's asleep. And the response in verse 38 says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And it says over in the other text as well, it says, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Now, obviously, they probably thought collaboratively. But the wording here is, is specifically that. Don't you care that we're going to die? doesn't wake them up and say, hey, help us in this situation. Don't you care that we're going to die? Here you are sleeping. What's going on? And sometimes when we are in our situations, in our set of circumstances, we respond in a very selfish, emotional way. We've been going through stress. We've been facing difficult times. And we're like, God, don't you care what I've been going through? Now we go to the, through the book of Job. And what took place there. And it's interesting because his response, he went through the loss of physical family, the loss of possessions, the physical attack of his health. And then he finally questions God. 
but he doesn't say, God, don't you care? He simply asks him. Now, I think that he, you know, we look at it and, and think, oh, boy, I would have complained a lot earlier. But in our response, oftentimes, don't you care? And think about the things that we complain to God about. Some of it is very selfish. You know, oh, God, there was none of this left. How come I have to have this kind? You know, I hate this cereal. Why can't I have a name brand cereal? You know, some things that we complain about are such petty. But yet here, our sinful possessions, when, when we are being dumped on, when stress at work, when things go on, we lash out and we lose perspective because naturally we're human and so we just take from the fleshly sinful, sinful perspective. God, don't you care? Oh, I, I've, I've been faithful. I've been doing other things for you and now you've allowed this to happen to me. Oh, I'm going to be late. And look at the traffic. But God does care. And this is important because what happens is this was an important teaching time. Here, Jesus was asleep, exhausted from his days of ministry, serving. And we see the next thing is that in point three here is that the disciples did not truly know Jesus. Remember, this is early on in the ministry. And what often occurs in our own spiritual lives is that we do just enough to claim that we're a believer or a Christian. Maybe you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have um, come to Christ, attended church, your parents attended church. Maybe you've been faithful. You've done some reading. Or maybe you just simply say, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good in my behavior. So you've tried to live the principles of Christianity, but you don't know Jesus. And that's a dangerous step because what happens when difficult trials and occur, when events come into our life, instantly we're going to blame God. We're going to say, don't you care what is taking place? And that's their response, because they didn't know Jesus. It's kind of the parents and child and understanding they don't know people. There are many people who you pass, you think you know them, but you don't really know them that well. Just have this little illustration about seniors. Sometimes there's, there's people who think, oh, seniors, they don't know anything. Young people don't understand the knowledge that is wisdom, even in our society of those, retirees and seniors. They, um, the saying goes, with age comes wisdom, but sometimes age arrives by itself. But there's, a wise, there's an illustration of a wise old gentleman retired and purchased a modest home near a junior high school. He spent the first few weeks of his retirement in peace and contentment. Then a new school year began. The very next afternoon, three young boys full of youthful after-school enthusiasm came down the street beating merrily on every trash can they encountered. The crashing percussion continued day after day until finally the wise old man decided it was time to take some action. This was during the time here we have the plastic recycling, but some areas they use the metal ones still, and so the banging and crashing. The following afternoon, he walked out to meet the young percussionists as they banged their way down the street. Stopping them, he said, you kids are a lot of fun. I see... You like to express your exuberance like that. Used to do the same thing when I was your age. Will you do me a favor? I'll give you each a dollar if you promise to come every week and, every, and do the same thing. The kids were related and continued to do a bang-up job in the trash cans. They come down, bang, 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 bang. They love that. Next week, the old-timer greets the kids and says he has a sad smile on his face. And he says to them, you know what? The recession is getting, putting a big dent in my income. And uh, you know what? From now on, I can only pay you 50 cents to beat on the trash cans. 
And so the noisemakers were obviously displeased, but they accepted his offer and continued on, banging on for a few weeks. Well, another few weeks passed on, and the wily retiree approached them again and as they drummed their way down the street, says, look, sorry, I haven't got my social security check yet, so I won't be able to give you more than 25 cents. Will that be okay? A lousy quarter, the Durham leader exclaimed, if you think we're going to waste our time beating those cans around you here for a quarter, you're nuts. No way, mister, we quit. And the old man enjoyed peace and serenity for the rest of his days. A little bit of wisdom. The young people don't always take that into account because they don't know. And the generations, as you think about, there is value in getting to know people, not only for resources, but to understand about that. There is benefit. That is why there's a benefit of the local church. As you come and get to know one another, there are things that you have in common. There are experiences that you will share. And sometimes the faith lessons. People will pray for one another. And here, the disciples, they did not truly know Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah, the one who would die to forgive their sins. And even that they didn't completely understand. But they didn't truly know Jesus. And as we look at the text, verse 39, Verse 39, it says, he, he got up. He wakes up and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Silence, be still, he says. This was the first witness for them of miracle of nature. Before, he'd healed people, he had cast out demons, he had helped all these others, but all of a sudden, Jesus stops, calms the wind and the seas. And it's interesting because he does them separately. And it's not like, okay, wait 10 minutes, and then all of a sudden, they're calm. Instantly, it occurs. Now, I don't know about that. I don't know about you, but in those set of circumstances, how would we respond? You know, one minute, you're in a fearful, scary position, and then the next, all of a sudden, boom, a dead calm. Now, if that doesn't get your attention... But just to understand the peace and calm. And I'm not going to go to the spiritual yet. But first of all, we see the act, the miracle, which is contrary to the act of nature. This was a miracle right before their eyes. Now, there's magicians who can do sleight of hand, who can trick you. But all of a sudden, boom, this occurs in front of them. And they are awed. They witness the first miracle of nature. They'd only witnessed the healings before, but now all of a sudden, this is what occurs. And they are, they're struck by it. They don't know what to do. He says, peace be still. The wind ceases in the great calm. He rebukes the wind. Stop. And then the sea. And they're both calm. An element. And it would have been dark. But just imagine the quietness of that moment. Now we don't know, some of you may know about oceans and, and seas and lakes. The stillness of it. But if you ever have thought about the tranquility of a calm sea. If you like to look out, sometimes in the morning, it's kind of equivocated with, you sit by the lake and see the calm stillness of the morning, the mist rising. There's a peacefulness, a serenity to that. And as they look at that, and what Jesus can give them, I, I think it was definitely a visual picture of the peace that God can give to them. But here, Jesus does that. And so the challenge is, as we see, not only do they witness this first miracle, but they wavered in their faith because of it. They wavered in their faith. Here was the object of their faith. They said, we trust Jesus. We'll follow you. We'll do whatever. And then when the time comes when there was truly a test of their faith, because if you think about the object of their faith, Jesus. Jesus healed. 
healed the sick. He forgave sins. He had done these other miracles. But don't you think, you think that, oh, they would have come. What would have been? They would have gone over and they would have been lost. Jesus couldn't have protected them. What would have occurred? They wavered. And as we think about their response here, because their response kind of is telling what takes place. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And remember the object of their faith. Why do you not trust in me? The wording there, the faith. Why are you not believing that I will take care of you, that I will trust you? Because when the difficulties in our life, when cancer occurs, when our illness, when family members are affected, it is during those times when our circumstances are outside of our control that we're fearful, that we're afraid. And those times will come. Maybe it's a child who has a prognosis that you're not sure what will occur. Maybe you're in a vehicle in an accident and you're not sure what will take place. Maybe it's a, a future. You lose your job or, or one you love and you're, you're not sure what will take place. It is those times where Satan attacks our faith. We're unsure of what will take place. And God says, trust me. You might not understand. You might lose all of your physical possessions. But you are still in the hand of God. In that he cares about you. He has a plan and purpose. And we can trust him because he is trustworthy. And the more we get to know who Jesus is, the more he proves himself trustworthy. The hard part is that we're emotional beings. And our emotions sometimes go up like this and down and up and down. And we're like a wavelength. Something occurs. It's like that scared cat. How high can we jump? And then, you know, when we face depression, difficulty, we're this low. We're so low that, oh, depression hits us and, you know, nothing will get us up. But God says, where is your faith? Trust me. He's not saying that it's easy. When a boat is going and crashing, you think you're going to die. We don't say, oh, you know, that's great. I love this, you know. Maybe a, a child did. I was in a, traveling across Wyoming in a 15-passenger van. And uh, I was going about 65, and I'm passing a semi. And all of a sudden, we hit a patch of black ice. So I touched the brake. Next thing I know, we're spinning this way. And I, so I turn it back around. Thankfully, I grew up in winter and so know how to drive on snow. So I turn it back this way. And it's like, oh, we're doing 360s. And it's like... You know, everything drops in your stomach. You're wondering around. Next thing I know, I don't even know how it happened. He had stopped, pulled over, but we slammed to the side, and it just kind of slams us against the snowbank, right? Stop. You know, your heart beating 180, 200 um, beats per minute. You'll, I look out. There's vehicles all over scattered. There's a semi jackknifed over here. There's a couple vehicles all around, and I'm just grateful. And then I was like, oh, man, praise the Lord. And then I have some young teenager in the back because we were heading on a mission trip. He said, that was fun. Let's do that again. I was like, oh, never have I wanted to hit someone, slap some young person. And it was like, it took me a minute just because I realized the gravity, the seriousness of it. We could have died, flipped, and I'm responsible for all these kids. And uh, just, you think about the, seri the, the gravity, seriousness of it. It's a life and death situation. But our faith, where is our, our faith, trust? Is it in God? Because realizing that he is the one who can care for us? Our eyes only think about the situation. We lose the perspective. But God is faithful. And as we look at the, the last section here, it says in verse 41, the response. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? It's 
interesting because they didn't know Jesus at all. We'll follow you. You're the Messiah. But who is this? Who are you really? They didn't understand the completeness of his deity, the fact that he was God. Remember, they understood about God. God, the creator of this universe. God, all-powerful. God can do all this. The fact that he's distant, but yet now he's physical. He's personal. How can that be? It's the same way in our own lives because what happens, our faith is sometimes based upon our circumstances, our surroundings. We believe there is a God. He created this universe. He's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. But now all of a sudden we have an issue in our own lives, finances, marriage. Oh, God, if you can, we don't want to bother you, but if you can fix this, if you can heal my marriage, if you can provide enough for the resources because we need, need this. Oh, I'm being sued. God, if you would help provide and work in this, if you can. And we pray in a very weak way. We pray, God, if you will, if you can encourage so-and-so, if you can heal this. Now, we don't always know if it's going to occur, but we pray with such a, a weakness in, the, in that, God, if you can do this. God, we're asking that you would do this. We believe that you can. This God of the universe who can create something out of nothing, do you think he's powerful enough to heal the situation that is going on in your life? Maybe it's a legal situation. Maybe it's a child who's going through struggle or illness. Maybe it's yourself. Your even personal faith. God is big enough. That big God who can do all this can help you in your set of circumstances. The complexity of that. And here, they're still wondering, who is this God? Who is this Jesus? That is what is so wonderful, the resource that you have in your life. Jesus Christ, who, who if, if you've never done that, I would encourage you today to confess your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Because he has the power to give you a home in heaven. He also has the power to help you in no matter what is your circumstances, to have peace. It's not that everything is going to be fixed once you're a believer. That is the danger that some of those who say, oh, the Bible says this, if you come to Christ, if you, if you believe Jesus, then everything will be perfect. But that's not how it is. What happens is you have peace now and an understanding that God is in control. No longer are you trying to fix it. You might still have a little bit of high blood pressure. You might still have a little bit of anxiety. It's how we are. We're human, emotional. But time after time, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you learn about his faithfulness, how he can provide, he can protect, he can guide, he can direct, the easier it becomes to trust him when the complexity of life arrives. And he will provide for you. Today you may know Jesus and have trusted him to be your savior. However, he will allow you to go through circumstances that will cause you to fear and we must trust in God and not ourselves. Because what occurs is often we're the ones we trust in ourselves. We try to fix everything. But it's God is the one who wants us to trust him. And it's easy to say you're a Christian when everything is going well. It is only when you're faced with life's challenges and learn to trust in Jesus do you learn about the character and nature of God. He is trustworthy. He is the God of this universe. He is also a personal God that continues to teach us about everything through his word, through our circumstances, the difficult times that force us to trust him no matter what is taking place around us. That personal faith is a genuine faith that comes from maturing in your spiritual relationship with Jesus. 
And I just want to close with this because it's a familiar passage, but may it ever be present and real. Psalm 23. And uh, I'm sure many of you have it memorized, but I just want to read it in a different version to just allow you to hear. It says Psalm 23, and it goes, The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life and leads me along the right paths. For his name's sake, even though I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. That is the promise. It becomes real because the true peace from God comes when we learn to place our constant faith in him no matter what is taking place in our lives. Shall we pray?